This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life, a healthier, happier family. Hope you're having a great day. It's Thursday, ah, which means one more day until you get to relax. Isn't that great? Well, more like two more days because it's the beginning of Thursday. Oh, yeah. Thanks. He just first his bubble bath. What a downer. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer. Uh, today, by the way, September 23rd, Cherry's Jubilee Day. Mmm. Mmm. It's also Punctuation Day. Are you great at punctuating? Are you a good punctuator? You know, have you noticed that it seems like commas have been taken out yes, a lot? Yes, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially with our, I mean, my kids, I read their letters like when my son was on his mission. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Those are no scary. <laughs> They're just like the biggest run on sentence. Yeah, ever. you have to figure out where the period goes. Uh, they don't uh, capitalize. You know yeah. what helps with punctuation? What? When you're dictating using Siri or like when you're using the voice. Uh huh. The voice texting? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm getting so good at that. <laughs> period. Did you get it right? Exclamation point. Yeah. Right. My, wife's, uh, my wife's amazing at stuff like that. So whenever I need something edited, I mm-hmm. send it to her. Boom. She's done. She's got it. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life is good. By yeah. the way, we went to the doctor yesterday. For? You're cold? Uh, yeah, and guess what happened? He says I have a chest cold. Well, that's a shock. Ugh. So you've been coughing, and yeah. he guessed that you had I've been had a coughing, cold. hacking, uh-huh. lungs shutting down, mm-hmm. tightness. You have a chest cold. Good. I pulled every muscle in my back, both of them, <laughs> pulled them <laughs> left and right. And uh, he checked me out, and he's like, yeah, you got a cold. Did they x-ray your lungs? No, oh, no. Just listen to him. He just listened. Uh-huh. That is a weird moment. Yeah. Isn't that a weird moment when it's Breathe. just you and the doctor in the room? Uh-huh. You're half dressed and he's like, breathe deep. Take a deep breath. <sighs> Again. <sighs> One more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear something in there. You're like, yeah, doc. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you paid how much for that? I only paid $25. Oh, good. You've got insurance. But my insurance? insurance? Yeah. Thousands. <laughs> it is the worst feeling ever. Pope's in town still. How great is that? It's so amazing. And by the way, we'll get into the Hajj. I'm sure you'll talk about yeah. 450 people oh, killed in a stampede. Is it yeah. more now? Yeah. 700 or whatever injured last time I saw. But so isn't that amazing? All about religion. This is all about religion. And then hundreds of thousands are lining up wanting to see the Pope, wanting to hear from the Pope. Power, the power of religion on this great ball of mud. Yeah. So for the next few days, it'll all be positive on the news. And then when he leaves, it will all, all go downhill. The blasted Pope. <laughs> yeah. It really we'll will. We'll get back into politics and it will be all over. But today I want, oh, I hope they have a lot of video of the Pope and Congress. Don't you think? Because this is where you've got to show. Well, it's not It's not private, is it? No, no. Well, okay. no, well I, I don't think so. Air it. Well, I know, but I want a lot of video of... All of the senators and Congress people being really obedient, mm-hmm. nice. Right. And then we can show that they can do it. <laughs> they can do it for an hour or two, however they long can... it's going to be. And then, again, the, my big issue is I think we all want the same thing. Very few people would say, I hate the earth. We ought to destroy it. But because the pope is so about earth and protecting Mother Earth and – we're going to hear a lot of negative stuff. 
And we have Excellent. to. Excellent. Yeah. Was that you? Yeah. You sound like that guy on. You sound like you sound like Smithers' boss. What's his name? Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, that's good. Could be worse. You could sound like Smithers. Um, got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about that movie. Um, I just can't get it out of my head. The movie's called Just Let Go, and it's uh, going to be released on Monday. And it's all about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness. And you know what it's also about? We'll be meeting, by the way, the uh, directors and the producers, some of them in just a few minutes, about forgiveness because heavens, we need it. We need more forgiveness in our lives and especially with the Pope in town. Forgiveness is a great thing for all of us. So let's, uh, let's do this. Let's get to our headlines and then we'll come back. We'll introduce our guests, Patrick Henry Parker, Christopher Clark, two of the, uh, the great uh, directors of the movie Just Let Go. And we'll be talking about ways that we can find forgiveness in our lives. Stick with us. Let's get to the headlines. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. Pope Francis is scheduled to address a joint session of Congress this morning. Yesterday on the White House lawn, the Pope talked about religious liberty. All are called to be vigilant, precisely as good citizens to preserve and defend that freedom from everything that would threaten or compromise it. While it's unsure what the Pope will speak about this morning, many believe he'll touch again on religious liberty, climate change, the plight of the poor, and abortion. The Pope is also scheduled to give a very rare gift to America. The pontiff will present a Bible estimated to cost $8 million to House Speaker John Boehner in the Library of Congress. The Bible is believed to be the first handwritten and illuminated Bible produced since the invention of the printing press. The death toll continues to climb at the annual Islamic pilgrimage near Mecca. At least 717 people People were reportedly trampled to death and over 800 injured. Nearly 2 million pilgrims are participating in the Hajj pilgrimage that began on Tuesday. The CEO of Volkswagen said yesterday he's stepping down amid the scandal over rigged emissions tests. 68-year-old Martin Winterkorn accepted responsibility but denied personal wrongdoing, saying the company needed a fresh start. On Tuesday, the German automaker said 11 million of its diesel vehicles were fitted with software made to cheat emissions testing. A new poll out of Quinnipiac University this morning shows GOP presidential contender Carly Fiorina would beat Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton in a head-to-head matchup. The poll shows Fiorina with 44 percent to Clinton's 43 percent, well within the margin of error. The strongest Republican against Clinton, Ben Carson, 49 to 42 percent. That same poll shows Joe Biden, who hasn't even announced if he's running, topping every Republican candidate except for Carson, where both poll at 45 percent. Prosecutor Prosecutors in Arizona announced formal charges against a 21-year-old man suspected in some of the freeway shootings in the Phoenix area. Leslie Allen Merritt has been charged with 16 felonies, including drive-by shooting, aggravated assault, and discharging a firearm. Merritt is currently being held on $1 million bond. And Matt, did you, did you read about Japan's Hideki Miyazaki? No. He became the world's oldest sprinter one day after turning... 105 years old. What? So Miyazaki ran the 100 meters in. How fast can you run the 100 meters? Uh, with asthma or without? Without. Let's go the without. I have no idea. Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, he did it in 42.22 seconds. 
wow. His personal record. 100 meters in uh-huh. 42 seconds. Yeah. His personal record was 34.2 seconds when he was 103. <laughs> he didn't even take up track and field until he was 93 years old. What a great Asked about guy. his secret to success. Yeah. Exercise daily, uh-huh. ate in moderation, and here's the key. What? He chewed his food properly. Okay. See, that's your problem. Well, you're, yeah, is, I don't even chew it. <laughs> when you inhale it, you know, I it just, doesn't, it I doesn't help huge, your body. I have a huge, um, what do we call it, esophagus. I have a huge pipe uh-huh. that I just swallow it whole. You swallow it whole. And then you'll see my belly get a little distended. <laughs> So you I'm don't like, even I'm enjoy like the chewing, like the chewing prospect, huh? You don't like that. You know, it's funny because we don't think about chewing. Mm-hmm. We also don't think about a man that's 105 running, running 100, 100 meters. meters. That <laughs> he is... was really disappointed. I guess he said he, in practice he was running 36 seconds, so he was a little slower. Can you even imagine running at 105? No, I don't want to be alive at 105. I do. <laughs> you do? I, want to be just, I just want to be sitting in my grandkids' living room just watching everybody. Yeah. Don't you think great, it'd be fun? Great to... grandkids, probably. By yeah, then. I guess by that age. Yeah, I, I'm going to live a long time. I've decided. I'm thinking you are. Well, I mean, unless the unless the lung thing kills me. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't go into pneumonia. But yeah, no, it's not because <laughs> it, I feel like my lungs are completely dry. By the oh, way, good. yes. Guess what I did? What? I I didn't put the mentholatum on my chest. And that was the key, or that not I didn't. The key? Oh, the key last night was I put my humidifier thing on, uh-huh. but it wasn't. I don't know what you call it when it doesn't. It's not a humidifier. It's it heats up the the water, the water but it has, so it shoots out hot hot steam hot steam. Uh huh. Whatever you call that. Yeah. And all night I I dreamt of like that I was in a you know of like a, a boiling pot of stew because <laughs> I hear this bubbling sound. Oh. And I'm like, am I in the stew? It was the weirdest night. That's what happens when you mix Nyquil. Mm-hmm. And your humidifier. Stew. Stew. Stew dreams. I kept thinking, I'm that frog. And they're slowly turning up the water. <laughs> they're slowly turning up the heat. You need to jump <laughs> out now. Jump out. <laughs> Even though it's cozy. It's so oh, cozy. Did that drive your wife crazy or was she facing the other way? You know what? She was in a whole different world. You know. I thought you could say she was in a whole different room. <laughs> she was in a whole different house. <laughs> she was in our other house. No, I, I'm, I'm getting better. Okay. It's getting better. You and better. I told my wife uh, – that she says, you, when I started coughing right before we went to bed, she's like, "Yeah, maybe you ought to go out on the couch." <laughs> and I then I threw a fit. I'm a little diva uh-huh. every once in a while, right? And then she relaxed. Oh, good. Actually, she and just then fell he asleep. Of stew. And then I started dreaming of stew. <laughs> well done, Kathy. Well done on the news. Hey, I've been telling you. Uh, in fact, we had Chris Williams on a couple days ago, and we talked about the movie Just Let Go, which is the story, Chris Williams' story of how his wife. Unborn baby and two of his children were killed in a car accident and how at the scene of the accident he was able to forgive. Well, coming up on Monday, September 28th, it is the day of forgiveness. And uh, on the show now, in just a few minutes, we'll be bringing on the producers of the show, the directors, the writers, to talk to us about how they chose this show and then why they're rolling it out the way they are. They're trying to impact the world and give the world an opportunity to forgive and to just let go. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Coming up in just a few minutes, Patrick Henry Parker and Christopher S. Clark, the producers of the movie Just Let Go. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the good spirit uh, created by the Pope, there's, there's a time and there's a place. And there's some times in life where you just need to learn to let stuff go. And uh, we talked the other day with uh, Christopher Williams, who has, I think, one of the greatest uh, examples that, um, that I've heard of, of a person who's been through complete, utter tragedy and found a way to let it go. He wrote a book called Let It Go. And uh, from that book, I believe, and just his story, which, which took place here in Salt Lake City, uh, it changed a lot of lives here. One family involved in a tragic accident by a teenage drunk driver. It was the the family was destroyed. Really, the the wife was in the car. She was pregnant. She died instantly in the car accident. Two children in the back seat were also killed. A third child needed to be uh, transported to the hospital uh, with a head injury, and the father that was in the car. Um, had an incredible moment of forgiveness where he he basically heard the words come into his head, let it go. And in the car, while they're waiting for emergency services to remove him from the car, he was able to forgive the boy, the, the person that had done this to his family. And um, so it's an incredible story, an incredible story of forgiveness, which is a story I think everybody needs to hear and our next guests are two producers that, uh, and directors and writers that have got together and with Chris Williams have put the story, the movie together, Just Let Go. Their names are Patrick Henry Parker, Christopher S. Clark. They're joining us uh, right now on the phone to talk about uh, this endeavor of making the movie Just Let Go. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing, Doing well. great. Thank you. You bet. Welcome to the show. Man, um, I've loved the story forever, and we had Chris on earlier this week. But uh, what was it about this whole story that made two filmmakers think, yeah, we've got to do this? That's a really good question. This is Chris talking. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, this, uh, this whole idea just kind of stemmed from the short documentary that we made for the LDS Church, this little Mormon message that we had made on his story a few years back. And in fact, we actually interviewed Chris Williams three months after the accident mm. in his home. And uh, we were doing a, a documentary back then, and, and we kind of established a relationship with him um, over a long period of time. And after the success and kind of the, 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 well, the good reception of the, the short documentary we had done on his story, um, he came to us and actually said, you know, I want to do a, another piece, a kind of a follow-up piece about healing. And at that time, he had actually just finished his book, um, and it just barely had released. And so we went to lunch, and we just chatted for a while, and we just we just all felt at lunch that this this meeting that we that there was something more there. And we we asked him, you know, what about just doing a feature film? Your your story is just so amazing. I think it could really affect people and, and a, a new batch of people that haven't even heard your story um, and, and go beyond kind of um, even just this you know smaller nucleus of people that have heard it. And make it more accessible to people outside yeah. of the LDS faith. Is it? It seems like, um, and anybody that has seen either the the little you know the the LDS message that that Chris did um, about forgiveness, because it seems like this is a universal story, and it's it's a universal story really of humanity 
because anybody could do this. This isn't I – mean, it's interesting. We hear the Pope's in town and he's – you know he's changing lives and how many how many people he's trying to influence positively but this story of chris brings a very similar spirit of we're all in this together right we're all kind of just going through the same trials the same the same difficulties so patrick when you guys were were putting the idea together did you you just i assume kept interviewing chris to get his side of the story but how were you able to make it so it fits kind of everyone yeah, well, that was that was definitely our design is is to tell the human side of this um, because forgiveness is a very is very much a human experience, um, and we weren't trying to slant it you know religious one way or the other. Right. Uh, I think the religious aspect came as as sort of an an added interesting conflict you know for a character who is telling people to forgive as a as a leader of a congregation, and then he himself is in this very difficult situation. Where he has to to extend that same mercy forgiveness. Yeah, but we we always came at it from the the point of 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 the human experience because that is that is what everyone, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what religion you're a part of, you've had you've been hurt by somebody, and you've had to you've had to learn to let it go, or you or in some cases, you know, bitterness is is what people choose, and it, it festers, and and I think mm. they're ultimately, you know, affected by that. So, so it's very much, very much the human experience for us. Were you, how long did it take you to do this? Because you, you also wrote this, you rewrote the story. You had to like take Chris's book, I guess, and, and write a whole script out of it. How long did it take you to go from script to production, to editing, to get it out? Oh man, that's, I was up till like four in the morning last night, so it's never over. <laughs> You're still doing it. But, uh, yeah. No, that's a really good question. We actually started um, probably about two years ago, um, and we hired and brought on a partner, uh, a writing partner, Vance Mellon, who was an amazing screenwriter. And we, we co-wrote it with him, and he, he just brought a whole different uh, perspective and talent to the table that was just so needed. And we, we actually did lots of just deep interviews with Chris, and we asked him a lot of questions that were actually really, really difficult. Mm. And, you know, it went, I think it went deeper um, than any of us really expected. And he shared some things with us that, you know, obviously weren't even in the book. And things that were very, uh, I don't want to say dark, but, but they were dark in, in terms of the things that he dealt with kind of behind the scenes. I mean, we all hear the kind of the glossier version of the story that he forgave, but in reality, there was just there was that human experience that we've just been talking about that that was an extremely difficult portion of that that process where every day he had to wake up and say, okay, today I've got to I've got to forgive again because these feelings are surfacing, and I've got to I've got to push them back. Yeah, in fact, I think an excellent example of that in the movie that we don't think of. Well, so there was one teenage boy that was one of his sons that was 14 that wasn't in the car, and he was the only one in the car. We we have a clip of this. This is uh, from the movie, Just Let Go, and this is the argument between um, Chris Williams and his son, the only child that wasn't in the car. Aren't you angry? Yes, of course I'm angry, Michael. Why don't you, why don't you show it? Don't you miss them? What do you want me to do? Stop pretending like everything's going to be okay. 
My life is screwed. Your life is screwed. Michael, have some respect. He's your father. You have to be respectable to get my respect. What did you say? You think this is easy? Holding the ship together? Every day, it's hell for me. Then do something! Scream at me, hit me, do something! Unbelievable. And so, I mean, there's, I think, an excellent example of the other side of the story. We all get the, the, the drama and the traumatic event in the car, but what's going on at home is just as, is just as painful. What's that like for you guys to hear Chris tell the story about his son and then to see it portrayed up there? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole experience of trying to portray uh, Chris's life was, you know, it was, it was a little bit uh, daunting for us because we wanted to do it right. You know, we wanted to, to do justice um, to the power of the story. And, um, you know, we just, we just did our best. We, we felt like before we even got um, to the script, we just felt like there were so many cinematic moments, um, so many things like, you know, uh, Chris meeting um, this boy, the, the drunk driver who was put in juvenile prison. He went into, he got a phone call and was, was invited to come talk to this young boy, this, the drunk driver. He goes into the juvenile prison and, and they have a conversation and, there were just so many moments like that that were like, wow, like this is, this is already so cinematic. Yeah. It's now just up to us to tell, to, to figure out how to put those together and what, in what way we tell them. So does it, it feel like, a challenge. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say the hard part was, is that, that, is that we, everybody already knew the story. They knew how it ended. Right. And so our, our challenge was to make sure that, we included things that perhaps they didn't know, and then in, in the way we tell it, make it a compelling experience, and and that that, that they haven't they, they maybe read about, but now make it a more visceral experience in the in the theater, where it, where it, where it, to the point where it's so engaging that even if you know the end, you still feel captivated all the way through. And yeah. We hope hopefully we did that, and and that was our goal, just to make sure that people felt like they were inside of Chris's shoes that they could just feel that this was not, even though this was a divine experience for him, it also was a very human experience. At the same yeah. Time. Now, that is one thing I noticed in just seeing the preview of it, uh, that you really go, what you take, you take the viewer along with you. We get to go through, and we get it. Conceptually, we get how, how difficult it is, but we, in the movie, you go through the difficulty of the sun not getting what was happening and being mad at his dad for maybe being too quick to forgive and the relationship between the mother and the son um, who the mom, you know, is trying to get Chris to to just be more realistic about things. And I don't know. I think it was uh, I think it is powerful. And and you feel I mean, it, it's difficult in a way because you do feel the pain for so much of the movie. But then it also sets up this beautiful piece when you're able to just let go. Let's take a break, guys. We're speaking with Patrick Henry Parker, Christopher S. Clark, the producers, the directors uh, um, of the movie Just Let Go, which is going to be be released um, in a one-night event on Monday, September 28th, nationwide. If you go to the website, justletgomovie.com, 
JustLetGoMovie.com. You can put in your zip code, find out where you can see this movie in your area, and then uh, go have really a true experience, a powerful experience with your family, with your kids about forgiveness on the Day of Forgiveness, by the way. We'll come back, continue this discussion with two uh, great producers on an incredible topic of forgiveness. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. just asking you and i expect you to let justice do what justice does please i'm gonna preach your mom i know i counsel people to to love their enemies Mm -hmm. but i can't do it myself beautiful welcome back to the matt townsend show that's a scene from the show just let go um which is a movie about Letting go. A a man, a preacher, a a leader of a congregation whose wife, uh, an unborn child, and two children were killed in the car accident. Another child was seriously injured, and he's torn because his faith, his beliefs are that he needs to let go and forgive this boy. And yet that was a clip of his mother saying, look, you've got bills to pay. You need to push on this. If you just let go— you're not going to let justice do what justice does. Joining us are the, the producers, the directors um, of this movie, Just Let Go, Patrick Henry Parker, Christopher S. Clark. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. It really, yeah, you, it really is so powerful of a movie. Um, what's it like? I mean, is this one of your first, is this one of your first big, you know, kind of full feature movies? Yeah, it is. You know, uh, we we did like a like kind of more of an artsy experimental film back like in 2001. But since then, we've just been doing short form commercial stuff. And uh, Patrick and I have actually worked together since we were 12. That's so great. Um, and uh, so we it's kind of hand in hand. We we produce, direct, shoot, and edit. And um, it's just been a something we've always done. So this is our first major commercial release though yeah what what was it like um i i heard and i heard this from dan Laprey, one of the other producers that so you guys took the crew on scene and you shot the movie in the exact space where the accident took place and chris williams i guess by the behest of his mother uh came to the scene and watched you shooting the scene of his accident yeah, it was it was definitely um, a surreal moment, and it was one of those ones that, you know, we obviously wanted to get right, um, and and we wanted it to be right for Chris as well, because he would be obviously reliving this moment on screen in front of you know however many people will see this movie. We 
we just we just wanted to get it right. We didn't want to uh, portray it the wrong way. And anyway, that night that we recreated the scene, um, he did show up, and and it was I think probably a good thing, you know, for him to yeah. sort of get that out of the way and um, and see the fakeness of it. Because when you're shooting it, yeah, it seems so fake. And then when you put it together and you you cut it with the music and everything, then it kind of becomes sort of a, a real moment. But um, it, I think that was that was a good thing that he showed up and and uh, he was he's been so helpful and so generous this whole process. I mean, he's just just been so wonderful to to allow us to tell a story and, and to take liberty with telling it. So, how were your lives changed um, being a part of this? And and the healing and seeing the healing of just letting go. You know, I it, I think it goes back to the the idea. Of, well, when we first went and interviewed Chris three months after the accident, we were just so floored by his reaction. And and at the same time, um, Patrick's brother had just been shot. Oh wow! Was shooting at a, Ch- a Chili's restaurant, um, just a random shooting where a guy comes in and shoots yeah. a few people. And I don't know if you remember that. I do not. totally. And uh, Patrick's brother was actually um, one of those people that got shot, but he survived. Um, and, you know, and then we had the trolley square and yeah. things happened. And, that's a, and, and this concept was just behind, the concept behind this documentary was just this concept of people reacting differently to tragedy, to difficult circumstances, to, to just these huge travesties that happen in their lives. And, and you know, people would either draw closer to God or, or just become more more bitter. Mm-hmm. And like my grandma always said, you know, you either get bitter or you get better. <laughs> and for me personally, I when my grandmother told me about Chris, um, she lived in in the neighborhood with Chris and introduced us. Um, I just wanted to meet him and just and just talk with him. And, and he just, you know, he just exemplifies applying a principle bigger than yourself. Um, and I think it, to me, it's 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 changed me in many ways just because. You just see how a person who tries to follow um, Christ so closely and, and truly do what Christ taught, even though everything inside his body is telling him differently, that he needs to, and he needs to lash out and, and seek vengeance. And that happened, and he felt those feelings. Um, but he sided with the principle that was bigger than himself, the principle of forgiveness, this eternal principle that you know transcends you know, an individual. Yeah. And I think to me, watching that process happen, you know, so closely and just seeing how it affected him and also just not only blessed him and freed him, but freed, um, Curtis's, the character, the teenage young driver, yeah. his, his, his life and his family and his future and, and the community around them. Um, it, it just, it's, it, 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 it it's going to impact people. I think it's really going to change people's perspective and, 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 jolt some people that maybe are asleep you know mm-hmm. and wait yeah because i guess it's one thing and you hear this a lot uh with like with the pope um in the country because so many people are you can just tell who are so faithful and and are loving this one moment but every one of these people that are so having a magical moment with the pope tomorrow they all have to get back in their car and go to work and then it's the implementation of all of these great principles that we believe in faithfully and I mean, that's that's what I do love about the movie, too. Another thing I really liked that I thought you did a powerful job of is weaving in 
um, kind of everyone else in Chris's life giving advice, even unsolicited advice, and um, then his handling of the advice. There's a great scene in, or two or three that uh, happen with Chris in, in the middle of the night when he can't sleep. He goes driving around and he finds a um, at a gas station. He, he buys a burrito and, and he gets some unsolicited <laughs> advice from the store clerk. You come here because you're drawn here. It is a place of healing. <laughs> yeah. You believe in guardian angels? Uh... It's pretty non-committal. Where's your faith? I think that's why you're so alone. They're bored with you. You're too solid. You don't need anyone. <laughs> yeah. Just a water pipe. Let something flood out. And they'll show up. This life... This life is a flash in the pan. You'll never get to heaven if you can't decide these things. You know, I, I thought this was heaven. No, this... This is hell. <laughs> Was was that character uh, in the gas station a composite of people, or was that a real person? I mean, a real scenario. Yeah, he he was a composite of people. Um, Chris, you know, in our interviews with Chris, Chris told us uh, that he would go driving at night to to blow off steam, and uh, he would stop in at uh, this convenience store, and there was there was a guy there who kind of acted like his best friend, and it was just kind of an odd scenario, and so. You know, we took this character, and, and it was an opportunity to kind of try and weave in these voices that, that uh, in our interviews with Chris, Chris told us, you know, that was that was one of the hardest things. Is these, everybody around him had an opinion on what he should do, and and uh, even people close to him that might have said things that were hurtful. Like, he had to balance all of these voices that were coming at him. And to us, it was it was really interesting and we thought you know it's a little bit like um to us the the movie field of dreams where you have this character who's who's kind of like holding to this one sort of simple divine voice yeah that he's trying to follow and then you have these people around him are like you're crazy what you know why what are you doing (laughs) yeah build a baseball field and and that's exactly kind of the way we looked at this story is like he's here's a guy who's heard a voice nobody else knows that and they're just they're looking at it from their, you know, their their minimal mortal perspective, and, mm-hmm. and here's Chris trying to hold on to this divine rope. So uh, that was that was one of the, the interesting aspects of the story to us. You, now you you've chosen a really interesting way, I think, to release the movie. So you're you're really pushing a one day event uh, where the the movie will be released into 500 different theaters. Nationwide, talk about why why you're choosing to do it that way instead of, I guess, a more traditional release, and uh, what your your hopes, your goals are, really, as the producers of this uh, for the rest of the the viewing audience. That's a really good question. You know, we, we 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 deliberated a lot about how to release this, and you know, we had a lot of people come to the table and just say, you know, this should be more of an event. This should be something that. Um, should start a a real conversation about forgiveness. So it's it's not just about the movie. And so we wanted to create more of an experience um, around the film. So it isn't just, oh, let's go to a movie, but let's go to a night where we really talk about forgiveness and invite, um, you know, other people of of all faiths to to combine and and come participate in this night. I mean, we have we even have Dr. Fred Luskin from from Stanford's Forgiveness Project coming, and and Randall Paul from the the, the the Center for Religious Diplomacy, and we have Lincoln Brewster, who's a a um, 
a religious pastor, um, a musical pastor, and he's going to be performing that night. And we have Ryan Innes coming to perform a song that he wrote um, for the film um, as part of the film's end credits. And so not only will you be experiencing the film, but you're going to have this live experience with with this panel afterward talking about forgiveness, both from a from a spiritual or religious and from a you know a a just a socially um, good thing to do. Yeah, academic even really, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean that's and that really to create the discussion to start the discussion because I see this as something that I could um, take my kids to that event. I could also eventually, I assume it's going to come out in DVD, buy the DVD and put it down, put it in for my kids and talk about forgiveness. I mean, it's a, it's a message that I think everybody's going to need eventually, and we're going to need it many times throughout our lives. So this is something that could be creating discussions for years. Oh, yeah. We hope it does. We hope it, we hope it continues. At least starts you know, a serious discussion about what it means to let go because everybody has something to let go of. And in fact, I mean, Patrick and I even had, you know, what's funny is that when we started this film, you know, we had, uh, you know, something with, with our, with our business occur. Um, and I won't go into detail, but it's something that we had to let go of before we could actually make this movie. And it was just so funny, the timing that we, we had to learn to like really let this thing go before we were like, you know, mentally and spiritually free to focus on this film and, and do it right. And I, I think that was by design, you know, we, we had to learn this process. And you look back on things now that you let go of and you, you kind of laugh at yourself for taking them so seriously. Oh, yeah. So true. And let's listen to one more clip. Uh, this is a clip of Chris Williams, who is a pastor, basically, of a local congregation and after the accident, he gets up in front of his congregation, and this is just a little bit of his, of his talk and what he said to his group of people. I've discovered how the story of the prodigal son is very like my story. A teenage boy seemingly threw his life away for what? For nothing, for some alcohol. He crashed into my family, taking them from me. I was the good son, the jealous one. I resented my father for giving the wayward son the fatted calf. He survived. He he had his family. He could still write his own future. I wanted to take something from him because he took so much from me. Mm. That's it, really. That's the vengeance we have where... We we think we're being justified to be angry at somebody makes us feel less pain for pain for what we're going through. But it's it's being angry at somebody that that keeps the pain going. As we wrap this up, guys, again, we're speaking with Patrick Henry Parker and Christopher S. Clark, the directors, the producers of the movie Just Let Go, which again will be released Monday, September twenty eighth, in a one night event, five hundred theaters across the country. You can go to JustLetGoMovie.com, put in your zip code, find out where your theater is, and go watch this event with other speakers. Um, Powerful stuff. And uh, we so appreciate you guys for your great work and truly the great spirit that uh, that I think is part of this. What an important message for all of us. Um, And thank you both for, for putting your time into that. 
We're going to take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back, do a quick little Coach's Corner, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. But get out there. Take your families. See that movie. Just let go. And uh, talk about it with your kids. Man, if we could get a spirit of letting go in this world, imagine the power that that would have over this world. Thanks, everybody. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, as we've been talking about forgiveness, again, I know we're, we had it on a couple days ago and on again today. Um, forgiveness, though, there is a day of forgiveness coming up on Monday, September 28th. So if you're, if you're sitting there and you're hearing the story of Chris Williams and you're feeling the pain in your own life, Use this these next few days. Use this weekend. Use the upcoming Monday to to become intentional in letting it go. If you had a business deal go bad, if you were hurt or harmed emotionally by somebody, if you were abused as a child, find a way to let go. One of the reasons for doing that is because uh, one of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey says, "It's not the snake that bites you." that kills you, it's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart. It's the chasing of the snake that drives the venom to the heart. And I've just found when it comes to forgiveness, it's easy for people to tell you to forgive, which is one of the things you see in this this story about Chris Williams. Everyone's like, you know, it's easy to give someone advice that when you're not in their shoes. Um, but I think principally the issue is, and you know it, you can't find peace in unpeaceful methods using un, you know methods that don't generate peace you can't find peace in anger you can't find peace in continuing to carry the pain at some point we just can let it go and in the movie Chris Williams is in the car and has a spiritual experience that helps him let go. But I think in the end, too, all of us need to find a way to somehow reframe our problem to a higher level, whether it's spiritual um, is how I do it or how others might do it. But it, maybe it's more just reframing it in what's in the best interest for your family, for your kids. At some point, we need to move on, which is one of the reasons why Chris wants to keep sharing this message is so that his family and their death can can work. And there's a beautiful moment in the movie when Chris goes to sit down with the boy in the movie that whose name is Curtis. And this is the boy that was drunk driving and killed the family. And Chris tells him and challenges him to let go. And on Monday, there is the uh, Desmond Tutu Global Forgiveness Challenge. So be thinking about it. Be preparing yourself for it. And let's use this time to, to really move on. And um, so if you go see the movie, that's one thing. If not, you know, learn. Go start finding a way. Talk to a spiritual leader. Use the visit from the Pope to motivate you. Find something. 
that can generate a change and, um, and, and, and find the peace. I really just, as just looking through all the headlines, there's story after story after story. Every headline is another story of where someone was hurt and is seeking vengeance or somebody was hurt and now needs to let go. Um, powerful. It is apparently part of the human experience, which is why we want to make sure that you you understand how to let go. So stick with us, folks. This is uh, this is life, and uh, the, one of the goals of the show is to help you find a way through it in a healthy, happy way, so you can become what you need to become and change the lives of the people around you. We're going to take a break. That's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. Next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. This is the the show where we try to give you the tools, the information, the ideas you need to grow a healthier, happier life. I'm Dr. Matt, your life coach, your guide on the side. And again, we've got another great show for you today. Um, uh, by the way, today is uh, Punctuation Day. The day where you learn to punctuate. And for all of you texters out there, for heaven's sakes, learn to punctuate. What what you doing, Ben? I'm I'm writing this down for posterity. You, so did you punctuate that? Learn to punctuate! Exclamation point. L O L comma. Oh boy, you're not. You're you're shorthanding it, which which just won't work. Holy cow! Did you hear about this lady? Unbelievable. I mean, you love your kids. Dearly. Okay, Kathy. All of them. Do you love spiders? No. Okay. So the spider, so if you're in your car, mm-hmm. let's just say backing your car out. Okay. Maybe, and a spider, a, let's say a big spider, but like not a tarantula, <laughs> but okay. a big spider okay. is on like your shoulder. Like a brown recluse or Ooh, something? Ooh, yeah. Okay. You know, potentially or dangerous. black widow. Yeah. Okay. On your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But your car's moving. Okay. You're backing out of your driveway. What do you do? By the way, nine-year-old kid in the backseat, what do you do? Boy, that's a good one. It's a good test. Yeah. Obviously, my first reaction would be to try to swat it off. Yeah, right onto the boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Ben would do. He would just go all ninja on it. Well, according to the police, an Indiana woman apparently leapt. She leaped from her moving car. She jumped out of her moving car when she saw the spider on her shoulder. Wow, that's drastic. Angela Kipp, How 35. Fast was she going? I guess whatever the speed of backing up is <laughs> and jumped out, but the car kept going, of course. Uh-huh. And her 9-year-old son was in the back seat. Uh-oh. She jumped from the car, her son reportedly moved to the front seat and tried to stop the vehicle, but instead of hitting the gas or the brake, oh, he hit no. the gas pedal and it sent him careening into a school bus. The boy was taken to the hospital with minor injuries. The bus driver was not hurt, and no passengers on board were hurt, and the mother not harmed by the spider. Or the jumping out of the car? Or the jumping out of the car, except her her pride is shot. (laughs) 
and her insurance bill has just increased. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. I mean, but that's a pretty visceral reaction to a spider. Very much. I mean, that you have that. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But – you know. I remember coming into our driveway one night, and all of a sudden, I pull up, and right in front of the headlights on the wall was a black widow. Oh. oh. Yeah, that freaked me out. That's pretty bad. Yeah. I went and hurried and got the bug spray and got as far away as I possibly could <laughs> and just soaked it. Did you <laughs> really? It. Yeah, those are ugly. Those, those yeah. scare me the most. Really? Do they? Black Have you widows. seen a tarantula? Mm-hmm. Just in a... Just in a container, not out. There's a, no way. At a family condominium. Did you hold one? Oh, I'd never hold oh, one. Oh, never. Never. I have, now that I've said that, someone's going to say, hold, can you, can you hold my black wood? Can you hold my <laughs> tarantula? Can you walk my tarantula? Uh, we had the greatest thing. When we, were, when we were teenagers, we would go. We didn't mean to. We found a dead snake in the road. And we thought it was my – it was one of my like kind of young men leaders from my church uh-huh. said, well, let's get it. So we pulled over and with golf clubs put a dead snake in the back of the trunk oh, no. and drove home. And wouldn't that have been funny if the snake were actually alive? But um, hibernating on the road. But it was a dead snake. But then we went to all of my friends' houses, and one by one, we would coil the snake up, like on by their gear shift, and we'd just call them and say, "Harry, can you come out here? We got to do some stuff." And they'd run out to the car, and they'd jump in their car, and they'd see the snake. Oh, that is so mean! And cars were rolling, <laughs> and people were jumping out of cars. It was the greatest day. I uh, church later get. I am a total trouble? monster. We didn't get in trouble, but we did do the joke so much and so many times and for so long mm-hmm. that the snake started decaying, <laughs> which was pretty gross. That is gross. But, you know, it's super fun. Terrifying yeah. people. And if your son did that, what would you do? Oh, I'd beat him. <laughs> Why is it when we did it, it was okay? Yeah. But no, I, we have children. Well, because things were different back then. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You didn't have the interweb. <laughs> And social media. You so didn't true. have all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy stuff. we got a great guest coming up. Esther Spina will be joining us. And uh, she is the author of the book, The Ambitious Woman, and has uh, a lot of great advice for how and what you have to do to be successful, to push the edge and to to push for all of your ambitions. She's going to be walking us through the power behind effective goal setting in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to one of the most ambitious women I know. Mm-hmm. Kathy Aiken with the headlines. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Pope Francis has arrived on Capitol Hill to a standing ovation and is now delivering his message, the first ever from a religious leader to a joint session of Congress. Yesterday on the White House lawn, the Pope spoke on many issues, including climate change. Climate change is a problem we can no longer be left to a future generation. The pontiff also shared his hopes and dreams for the American people. To these days of encounter and dialogue, in which I hope to listen to and share many of the hopes and dreams of the American people. The Pope's address will be one of his last engagements in Washington before leaving for New York. The Senate is preparing to vote on legislation to keep the government open, but at a 
price Democrats will most certainly reject, stripping taxpayer money from Planned Parenthood. The stopgap spending bill is expected to fail, though Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has promised there will be no government shutdown. In a new Fox poll, Donald Trump leads the GOP with 26 percent, followed by Ben Carson at 18 percent, and Carly Fiorina and Marco Rubio both have 9 percent. For the Democrats, it's Hillary Clinton still the front runner with 44 percent. That's a 5 percent drop since last month. Bernie Sanders remains at 30 percent. Joe Biden, who has yet to decide whether or not to run, has 18 percent of the vote. At least 717 people have died and over 850 injured in a stampede near the Muslim holy city of Mecca. Nearly 2 million pilgrims are participating in Hajj in the Hajj pilgrimage that began on Tuesday. The stampede took place approximately three miles east of Mecca. In 2006, 360 pilgrims were killed in a stampede in that same area. The emission scandal that has rocked Volkswagen is getting bigger. Earlier this week, it was reported the German automaker used software in 11 million of its diesel cars to rig emissions tests in the United States. Now, Germany's transport minister says those tests were also manipulated in cars in Europe. The CEO of Volkswagen is resigning amid the scandal over rigged emissions tests. 68-year-old Martin Winterkorn accepted responsibility but denied personal wrongdoing. And Matt, the Guinness World's Records 2016 edition is out, and here are some of the, Ooh. well, I guess, weirdest ones. Okay. A 20-year-old man from Venezuela has the biggest feet in the world. A size 26. What? Is that possible? A 27-year-old man from India has the most teeth in the mouth with 37. Where does he put them? A normal person has 32. They're really kind of jammed in there. A 21-year-old from Germany has a record for the fastest 100-meter run in clogs. How fast is that? 16.27 seconds in clogs. His 100-meter in uh, clogs is 16... 16 what? Point. 16.27 seconds. And the 105-year-old man's 100 meter. Was like 42 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. He also got in for the fastest. But he's not run- wearing clogs. No, he's running. He's wearing running shoes. Yeah. yeah. And he's also 105. And this same German uh, also got in the fastest 100 meter run in ski boots for 17.65 seconds. Now, I mean, the, you know, really? I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. Two dogs even got in on the action. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. A nine-year-old female beagle from Tokyo has the world record for the most balls caught by a dog with the paws in one minute. With the paws. With the paws. She caught 14. <laughs> Sailor, a black poodle, climbed 20 steps in 18 seconds on his hind legs. I know you're going to go home and teach your dog that. And this one, Matt, this one you can work on after your chest cold. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ready? Okay. A man from Germany, a lot from Germany, made it for the farthest distance to ever blow a pee across a flat surface. How far? 24 feet, 7.66 inches. So I think once your lungs clear up, you might have a chance. Oh, I oh yeah. <laughs> Let's give it he a He blew a pea. Uh-huh. 24 feet. 24 feet 7.66 inches. Man. See, but I'm, I, you've got the lung capacity. I've, but once yeah. it clears up, I think you'll be good. I couldn't Let's shoot for 25 feet. <laughs> I couldn't blow a pea an inch right now. <laughs> it's horrible. I know. I'm Did you see that really cute little um uh YouTube about the little boy re- blowing out his candle? Mm. He could hardly wait to blow out his candle, and but he, he like tried to blow out his candle over and over, and he couldn't blow it out. He couldn't blow it out. Finally, the dad put a straw in his mouth, and he could blow it out because the guy was – I don't know. I thought you were going to say it was one of those trick candles or something. No. no? He was a little tiny kid. Yeah. He was just so cute. Hey, what is the deal, Ben, with Germans and world records? And running in clogs. Yeah. And ski boots. Have you seen Ben's clogs, by the way? 
They're nice, Ben. They're yeah. a little loud, but I uh, like them. I mean, I would like – you've seen the clogs that are like not made of just wood and mm-hmm. he likes the big wood yeah, with, clogs. With a nice purple finish, it's nice. Mm. That's shiny. Why yeah. do Germans love having lived there? What's with world records? They're just good at it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Why well, stop something you're good at, Matt? And blowing peas, you know, that's yeah. one of them. Yeah. Wow. Did you have you seen the bumper sticker? All I want is world peas. Yeah. It's W H I R L E D. My P E A S. My sister collects peas. Yeah. And that's on her license plate. Oh, so if you've ever seen she that, collects that's peas? yeah. Pea pods. Okay. It's weird. I wonder if she, she could get should... in the Guinness World Book. Of I bet for the she most could. Pods. She probably could. She's she had a hard life. She had a really hard life. Um, she collects pea pods. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking about ambition. And uh, the author of the book, The Ambitious Woman, Esther Spina, will be joining us, giving us some insights, some clues into how to move toward your goals. Have you ever been too afraid to, like, do something that you know could positively impact your career? We're going to get the inside scoop on how to gather a little more courage, show a little more ambition, put yourself out there. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Ambition. You know, sometimes we look down on it, right? It's just too aggressive. But then there's so many of us, myself included, I would love to be able to be more ambitious and um, to be able to push myself to to dare to say the things that you ought to say and to push yourself, you know, up the ladder in the corporate world. Joining us on the phone is Esther Spina, who's also known as The Ambitious Woman, and uh, she's authored a book titled The Ambitious Woman, currently heads a mentoring club specifically geared toward helping women to set and achieve their goals in their lives. She's a successful businesswoman and the master of her art. She joins us now to help us uh, understand her vision and and, and what we can be doing as average people to just be even more uh, driven, more ambitious Esther Spina, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's so Quite great. You know what? I love I love uh, this idea of, of ambition because I think a lot of people have it, but we don't sometimes, it seems like, have the gumption or the nerve to go do what you've got to do to make your dreams come true. And it seems like just from the little I know about you, you you're, you've got the gumption. You, you, you've got the ability to go grab your goals and to make them happen. How do we how do we get am, this ambition to actually happen? How do we get it out there to the world? Well, that's a good question because really people aren't born ambitious. It's something that you acquire. So I think the first thing you have to learn is what does it take to be ambitious? If I'm not ambitious, why am I not? And I, and you really need to have the ambitious traits in order to be successful. You're not successful first, and then you become ambitious. Right. So when you think of it in that context, I mean, it's absolutely necessary. If you want to reach your goals and your dreams is to understand what being ambitious is and to become ambitious, which, by the way, 
is not a bad word. No. It's a great word. I think that over the years, people look at it and think that ambitious is somebody that's power hungry or has an ego, Um, especially women. They look at them that way, too. And that's just so, so much farther from the truth. Yeah. And it seems like you're trying to blow that myth up that, I mean, ambition can be a positive thing and can drive it. Do you sense that an ambitious woman is perceived differently than an ambitious man? Yes, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Yeah. It's changing a little bit with some of our uh, political candidates. Right. Uh, and, but the thing of it is, is that uh, when you look at the word ambitious and you actually see it in the dictionary, this is what it means. It's someone that has or shows a strong desire and determination to succeed, eagerly desirous of achieving Success, success, wealth, power. That, that's what being ambitious is. That's a great thing. So it seems like if you want to be successful, you, you need to be ambitious. And I think it's changing. Um, sure, when men are out there and they're in the corporate world and they're getting to the top and they're strong and make decisions, they're looked at and say, wow, he's a really ambitious man. That's awesome. But then you get a woman sometimes that has those same traits and they go, Oh my God, she's bossy. She's power hungry. She thinks she's all that uh, too aggressive. That's what I'm trying to change in, in in my uh, examples of, of the ambitious woman. Well, I I think, I think that's important. I mean, it's, I, I guess, I guess a lot of it, what it is, is where they're, they show such a strong desire to succeed and have wealth and power. I mean, I, maybe that's what people think is, I don't know, less virtuous, I guess. But in reality, but you, I mean, you're going to gain power by being an effective, healthy person that people want to follow. So, I I, I mean, it's going to happen one way or another. Yeah, power isn't a bad either. It's not a bad thing either when you look at it. But here's the misconceptions, and this is what I talk about in, in my book. In order to be ambitious or considered ambitious, we know what the word means. But how do you get to be ambitious? Back to your your initial question is I've outlined, uh, and this is through 30 years of experience, because Matt, by no means was I born ambitious. I wasn't born in an ambitious family. In fact, uh, very blue collar. Uh, No one in my family went to college. No one owned a business. No one was entrepreneur. So So I couldn't have been born that way. But I acquired it through uh, starting when I was 18 years old at my first corporate job as a woman and had a set of sight to have a man's job, which took me four and a half years to get it. Mm. And I think that's when I first started becoming ambitious uh, about doing it. And some of the things that I've learned over the last 30 years in order to be ambitious, you've got to live an inspired life, an encouraging life, action life, a dream life, determined life empowered life, motivated life. And, you know, I talk about 16 traits like this, self-discipline, a loyal life. Here's one that you might not, most people don't consider a trait of an ambitious person, but it's one of my top, and that is live a humble life. Mm. And I think that is one of the biggest traits of a true ambitious person. They are truly humble, and they never forget where they came from. Yeah, well, talk they about that more. What do you mean right. by humble? Humble is, well, somebody that never forgets where they came from 
and that they've never arrived. No matter how successful, no matter how wealthy, they are always remember where their uh, success came from, and they treat it that way. They never lord it over people. They never are condescending to other people. They truly are humble and give uh, their praise to the people that uh, deserve it, because no one single person can rise to the top by themselves. Right. It always takes a team. It always takes people around them to be successful and get to the top. And I think it, being humble and realizing that is absolutely a trait that you have to have, to, a true ambitious person. Well, I think that's, that's the idea because when you have – when you're ambitious and humble, mm-hmm. that seems like the perfect combination, right? Absolutely. I, it really is. And so – when you look at someone that can have both of those traits, you're you're just going to go, wow, that that is an ambitious, powerful person. Mm. Otherwise, without that humility, you might think, oh my gosh, that is just a, a person that has an ego. Yeah, and so g- give me an example um, because one of the things I know another one of your chapters in your book is living a persistent life. Right. And what I I heard a story that you one time. When you were just a new employee, you walked right up to the CEO of the company, the big company, and you met the CEO? Right. Oh, gosh, didn't I have a lot? That's pretty ambitious, isn't it? That's very ambitious, and but persistent. I mean, there's a lot of people that would never dare do that. What was that? What drove you to that? Well, I... When I saw this opportunity, I wanted it really bad. I mean, I knew that this was something that I could be successful at, and I wanted that financial freedom. I wanted this opportunity. And I learned one of the things that you need to do if you're going to be successful is you have to be accountable. Um, If you're not accountable to someone or you don't tell someone what your dreams are or what you intend to do, you're going to lose uh, some power because – just keeping it to yourself. Why do you think most people don't tell anyone? Because if they fail, then, oh, no one knows. No one needs to know. You know, and it's all your little secret. Right. The first time that you tell someone, usually it could be a spouse, but sometimes that's not the best one. It could be a best friend. But once you say, you know what, I want this. This is my dream. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do this until I'm successful you all of a sudden have put yourself out there. So I was just sitting there. It was the second day of a presentation. I had caught him from the corner of my eye, and I just thought, wow, I really want this. Time is getting away from me. I've, I've worked my whole life to get to the top, top, and I'm just going to go up there and introduce myself to him and tell him, and this is exactly what I said. He, he tells the story over and over again because I don't think he's ever had anyone do that. And I said, you know, you don't know me. <laughs> but I'm going to be somebody in this company someday. And I know he looked at me and went, okay. Okay, wild. move along. Security. Right. <laughs> but I, oh, and then I sat down, Matt, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I just I blew it. <laughs> well, you know what I said? You know what drove me to keep well, that word is because I had actually went to the top of the CEO of the company and said that. And every day when I felt like quitting, well, there was adversity. I would say, oh, my gosh, I'm accountable. I told him I was going to be somebody someday in this company. And doggone it, I'm going to do it. Oh, I love if that. If I had not told him, I who knows, I may have given up. Oh, yeah. Well, and if anything, you found the way to, to make it so you, you almost had this cue that you either now are the crazy woman 
that right. was losing her mind or you're the one that in a few years could move right up the ladder and get to the top. Right. And that's exactly what happened through a lot of yeah. ups and downs and trials. And nothing's easy, believe no. me. I started at the bottom of the company and, and did get to the top. Uh, and uh, that was just because of being an ambitious woman. And that's pretty much where that came from. Oh, I love it. No, I love it. We're speaking with Esther Spina, who is uh, is from Fort Worth, Texas, where she lives with her husband, her four children, four grandchildren, and she's the author. Is it six now? I have six. Congratulations! I'm about to be a grandfather, so it's a big deal. I can hardly wait. Except I'm, you know, I feel like I'm getting older, but I guess that's great as long as long as I'm still mobile. Um, (laughs) Esther's on the phone with us, teaching us about her book called "The Ambitious Woman." She's uh, teaching us about the importance of persistence, of accountability, of humility as drivers of ambition. Um, really trying to reframe it for us and also teaching us that uh, this isn't just a male trait. Women have every bit the power, the ability. In fact, I I would even say having been raised by a single mom, uh, even maybe sometimes more power to exercise their ambition, um, especially when we learn the traits that Esther's teaching us. Stick with us. We'll come back, learn more of the great lessons of life and ambition from Esther Spina. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking ambition. And uh, we're learning the art of ambition, I guess. Uh, We'd call it an art form of some sort. By Esther Spina, the author of the book The Ambitious Woman. She currently heads a mentoring club specifically geared toward helping women to set and achieve effective goals in their lives. Uh, Esther Spina is uh, from Fort Worth, Texas. She lives there with her husband, four children, six grandchildren, and is teaching us powerful principles. One of the powerful principles she's already taught us, it's a key to ambition, is humility. Being teachable along with accountability. Um, and we're going to continue learning from Esther. Esther, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. You know, Matt, you right before the break, you said something which is perfect, which I said before. We're trying to reframe ambition and being ambitious because ambition is the driver, and you said that word as well, that can motivate you in a positive or a negative way. The traits that we're talking about help you become ambitious and successful. Ah, uh, yeah. And and you all, you said it perfectly at, at just how I would have said it, that we've got to reframe this am, ambitious word. Yeah. Because, well, I think you're doing a great job of it because we, we see it as just kind of a power-hungry, mm-hmm. money-hungry uh, you know, ends justify the means kind of a mentality when really what you're adding to it are are different things that like different, I guess, even lives. Like you talk about um, part of ambition is, is a humble life, but it's also um, a determined life, mm-hmm. which is well, somebody that's determined like you were when you went up to the CEO and, you know, told him someday I'm going to I'm going to be something big in this. Um, in this, but another thing I love is you're also realistic to know that ambition also is action. 
absolutely. Words are nothing unless you put action to them. You have to have massive action. I think that's a key thing that people miss. They hear a motivating speech. They go to a seminar. They go to a convention, and they're all high-tech. They they heard everything. They've got it, and um, they can do that till they're blue in the face. But until they put massive action with everything that they have learned, nothing is going to change. Yeah. Nothing will happen. I mean, because to have ambition and just keep talking about it, you're just spinning your wheels. Right, exactly. And there's a lot of people that would rather, it seems like, have the story to justify their inaction mm-hmm. than really the results of action. Right. This is, this is something that I lived by. I learned this in um, sales. 101 a long time ago, and it just works in this business and everything that I've done. And I find that successful people do what unsuccessful people will not do. Period. Yeah. yeah. I, and you know what? When, you, when there's something that you don't want to do, just do it because that means you're going to be successful. Because the bottom line is unsuccessful people uh, won't do what successful people will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it takes. You've just got to do everything. And so those things that are hard to do, that the, the rejection that you take, everything, uh, all the adversity that you come across in becoming successful and ambitious, all has to do with doing things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Well, I even see that um, just even personally, professionally, there's certain mm-hmm. things I don't like to do and I don't, mm-hmm. so I, I avoid them. They're things that are kind of counter to my nature. Like, right. so how do I get over that? How do I, what are, what are some of the keys or the tools you found to get me myself to go do what is hard for me to do? Well, it's going to go back a little bit to what I'm really big on self-development and working on yourself. Yeah. And, and that is something that you have to develop a habit with. I think people go days and months, maybe years without reading a positive, motivational self-development book. Right. Uh, and there's so many out there. And so one of the things that I would say if you're having a problem getting over the hump is find a book that is, has been referred to. Ambitious Woman book is a great one to start. There's many of them, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful yep. uh, People by Stephen Covey, uh, all kinds of books. John Maxwell, great leader, uh, leadership uh, leader, has tons of books out there. And spend 30 minutes a day. That's my rule of thumb is that you've got to spend 15 to 30 minutes a day on, on yourself. Developing, and growing, learning. Developing and growing. And I tell you, if someone just starts with 15 minutes a day and they do that every single day, your life will change in just a matter of time because you're putting in self, yourself things in yourself to help your spirit and your well-being uh, to put help put those things into action because without them, I don't know how you can. I don't. I don't know how just someone gets up every single day and it's just all. Oh, I'm so ambitious. <laughs> you know, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> that's not life. You have to work at that. You know, I try to not do anything until I do a couple things. You know, I have a rule of five that I try to do every day. I try to read every day. I try to pray every day. 
I write every day, I encourage every day, and I share every day. And mm. I, those are, that's my rule of five, that I try to, if I just can accomplish those things in just a few minutes every single day, that I feel like I'm on the right track of where I should be. Yeah. No, that seems, that seems healthy. And um, you also set goals. I know a big part of your life is goal setting, and one of the things you try to teach um, in your women, uh, in your women's uh, am- ambition and, and empowerment groups is goal setting. Talk to us a little bit about goal setting. How could we make our goal setting more effective? Well, you have to be proactive. And, and I would suggest if, if anyone can pick up that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, yeah. because he's got the seven habits in there. And uh, I, you know, I had, I hadn't read this book uh, I think I developed the habits on my own through life experience. And when I picked that book up, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's why I'm successful. Mm. Because I had developed, to a certain extent, a lot of these habits. And uh, you've got to be proactive. And how are you proactive? Is setting your goals. Without a vision, the people perish. And you have got to have another habit. Begin with the end in mind. That is a habit 101. Begin with the end in mind. What does that mean? Well, that means that you already know what your end result is going to be. See, when I went up to the CEO, what did I want? I wanted to be somebody in that company. That was my end result. Right. I had to, did it happen overnight? No, it was a process. So I had to begin with those baby steps. See, people want to do what I do, Matt. Yeah. They don't want to do what I do. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I, they, they, yeah, I see that they all the time. They're like, oh, I want to be like her. Listen, but they don't want to do what I did to get where I went. Right. And that is, I had to set goals. I, to this day, I have a daily yellow pad that I have all my goals down for the, the day. And I know goal setting is beaten to death in every kind of seminar, every kind of talk. But it's so important. It's like the number one thing. If you don't know what your end is, result is supposed to be and set your goals to do it, how are you ever ever going to get there you're not do you do you see like i have people come up to me and they're like oh i really i really want to do what you do um mm-hmm. what could i do because i i want to i want to speak or i want to be on the radio and i want to do that and i'm like oh you know what really simple let me give you like three books to read go right. go start reading these books then come see me and if you want i'll let you follow me for a day and you can just really see what i do and you'll find out it's not all that great or you can then, um, you know, if you want, I'll let you, you know, come intern for me. You can see what we're doing, get behind the scenes and learn and grow and learn and grow. And then as soon as you can do it, I'll start paying you to do it. Yeah. And they look at me like, oh, um, yeah. ugh, this this Friday. Yeah, I can't right, do exactly. it this Friday. I mean, um, you know, what? let me get back to you. And all of a sudden you're like, Wow. So my, 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 the way I know who's serious is I give them a challenge. Yeah, they, they'll do what you do. Yeah. But, but do you know the sad thing is, Matt? Most people don't. No. I mean, they, they, they don't. That's why there is still the 2 percenter mm. of the, the people in, in the country. And it's sad. And we need to change that. People just need to realize that if they want it, that there's certain things they have to do. Because I found that. To get where I, I am, there are two things. It takes time. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. You, you know, it takes time. It takes experience. So are you willing to wait the time? Because it's a process. And are you willing to go through all the experiences to get there? I do that same thing. People go, well, how do you get to where you go? I'm like, okay, 
why don't you join the ambitious women if it's if it's a woman's success club because you need a mentor you need to be accountable that's i'm just like that that's yeah one and and surprisingly people will do not want to be accountable or have a mentor right. they don't want to to spend the time or the money i can't help those people then you could you uh reach a certain amount of success yes but do you really want the most success that you can have in your whole life do you really want everything that there is out there for you then you have got to do certain things and we can outline them and tell them and i've actually told them in that book what you would need to do and these traits aren't going to happen overnight you, i don't like people to get over well go, oh my god i got to have these 16 traits and then i'll be ambitious and successful no yeah. you learn them these these came to me over 30 years of these are absolutes that you must have to be the most successful that you can be and it will take time and process and you can tackle them um, one at a time i usually tell people take the book and just take one chapter yeah. and, and read it for a week and really learn and understand what that is you know don't read the whole book all at once and then be overwhelmed. Oh my God, I can't do it. Yeah, this is too much. What can I do? I know uh, the the majority of your focus, it seems like, is is taking women and empowering them and helping them understand the power of ambition and all of the other traits that are in the book. What can I do as a husband? Um, If I want to if I want to ch- kind of change the concept of an ambitious woman and, and help oh, my it. wife be more ambitious, what and not even just not even be more. She's already ambitious, but help right. her facilitate it. What what could we just as men do to help get out of the way of ambition for women and also empower it, enable it, strengthen it? Great question. You know, I've been married a long time, and my husband, uh, when the books came to the house, he I he went to college. He's studied his whole life. I've never seen him read a book like through all the way through. Mm-hmm. He picked up my book and I promise you, he did not put it down. As several hours later, he walks into my office and says, oh my gosh, I finally, he goes, it's really good. I finally feel like I know you. Oh, that's beautiful. And I've been married a long time. <laughs> he like, I, so I said, everybody write a book. You want your husband to understand you? I mean, yeah. just read it. And and here's the point, because, yes, uh, my, I, my passion is women, because I love powerful women. I think that uh, I they don't always live up to their greatness that God's given them, and I want to help them achieve that. So, But being ambitious is for men and women alike. Yeah. You know, women who are already ambitious, they, they'll get reinforced by the book. Uh, women that have dreams, um, need a vision, they'll be encouraged. But I always say men need to understand their women. And they'll, so they've got to read things and do things so they can understand their women. And I, I, just my husband's a great example, and I've had many men read it, not just for themselves, but it'll help them understand their ambitious women professionally and personally. So I would say read some of the stuff that women get into. Yeah. Figure out about women and encourage them to be the right ambitious woman. Um, and that takes a little bit of work too. And don't be jealous about it uh, because that's something sometimes men will do is they're afraid or intimidated by an ambitious woman. Mm-hmm. So I and- love when men... Um, love ambitious women. I do too. I well, and strong women make strong men and strong men make strong women. Right. I love it. I think it's, there's nothing wimpy 
about my husband that comes in and is in the background and doesn't really want to be up in the limelight but supports me and is there. I think yeah. that is so, you know, sexy. That is one of the greatest things. It's not wimpy. And I just think men need to understand they're great, strong women. Yeah. And again, all God's children are to be strong, empowered, mm-hmm. like you say. And in the book, there's just so many other tools in the book, passionate, consistent, persistent, mm-hmm. loyal. Every one of these are universal oh, truths of healthy loyal. lives, right? Yeah, loyal is a great one, too. You know, because sometimes oh, you go- think about being ambitious. And it's like, get out of my way, get, get to the top. People think, what does ambitious mean? Power hungry, doing right. whatever it takes to get to the top. But boy, loyalty is big. Uh, people too often jump from one place to another, one church to another, one company to another, one marriage to another. Yeah. And if they would learn what true loyalty is and what it means to be loyal, and you make that commitment one time. See, being loyal, you don't have to say, I'll be loyal to you this week and maybe next week I'll decide. No, you decide to be loyal to a cause, to a person, to something one time. And there's never a question about it. When you do that, that will help you through thick and thin, through adversity, through things that you might not even agree with. But that doesn't mean that you become disloyal when you disagree about something. Oh, yeah. Well, we appreciate it. I think this is uh, great information, great advice. Esther Spina, again, the author of the book, The Ambitious Woman. And you can find out more um, if you just look up the word, the name Esther Spina. She's all over the place. But you can also go to the website, www.ambitiouswoman.net, to get more information. A grandmother of six, um, married, mom, business success, principle-centered, ambitious. Powerful, folks. Really, when we raise the women in our world, folks, we raise the world. And when we, it's not, it doesn't harm a man or anyone to have strong, healthy women. It, it only strengthens the world, folks. So remember that. We're on this globe together, right? We got to make it work together. Take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the show, we always try to bring you the latest, the greatest information, everything you need to know to be a healthy human being. And I was, as I was kind of uh, just glancing through the news today, I found on, uh, on Huffington Post some interesting new insights about what giraffes do in the middle of the night, late at night. Researchers attempting to document sounds made by giraffes recorded almost 1,000 hours of audio at three different European zoos. And uh, they found out that at night when, you know, everyone's gone and the giraffes are alone in their enclosures, that they make some really interesting sounds, one of which is a really interesting hum. Listen to this. Hmm. Hmm. As I went walking 
that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. I, you know, I, Ben, I don't think that's the audio. Uh, no, it's no. It's straight from Huffington Post. No, that, that's actually Bernie Sanders. No, I'm pretty sure that's a giraffe. That's that's Bernie singing a song, which I don't quite I don't quite get. I didn't know Bernie was a singer. He's rapping. He's talk rapping. Are you sure it's not the giraffe? Here he is. Let's listen to more. I from the sparkling Yeah. Of your diamond desert. Yeah, nope. And all That's not the giraffe. It reminds me of the lion. Voice was sounding. Totally. This yeah. land was made for you and me. For you and me. You know, we must have made a mistake, Ben, because uh, I'm thinking this is not the humming. I, I think the humming was just a kind of a low-pitched hum. Like, well, no, because, like, I, I know this from the Lion King. Oh. Like, the lions sing the mm. circle of life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is what the giraffes sing. Oh, man. It's weird. You know what's weird is it sounds a lot like Democratic uh, candidate Bernie Sanders for president. Hmm. Well, you know, you can't get everything right. But I'm pretty sure that's not the humming sound. The humming sound is the they're finding out the giraffes are a little zen. They do a little om and they just meditate themselves to sleep. But who doesn't? Who doesn't? hum in their enclosure at night. I know Ben does. When we put Ben away for bed, lock up the cage, that boy hums all night long. (sighs) Good stuff. Folks, that's the show. Oh, hum. We're going to take a break. (laughs) This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. Maybe we'll find the humming audio. Or maybe we'll be able to get Bernie Sanders to sing something else. Stick with us. Trying to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we uh, give you everything you need. A life preserver. So you can make it through uh, this crazy tsunami called life. Ben's giving me the stink eye. But what does Ben know? Welcome to the program. By the way, today uh, is September 24th. Earlier I said it was, I think, September 23rd. It's really the 24th. Just to keep everybody up to date. Mm-hmm. It is the 24th. And you should know that if you uh, like yourself some Cherry's Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Because today is Cherry's Jubilee mm-hmm. Day. And uh, Punctuation Day, also yep. another really big day. That was for the cherry one. Are you eating? That's Ben eating cherries. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Are you Slurping. a maraschino cherry person? No. Oh, I can't. I uh, hate him. I mean, Ugh. just don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'll eat anything that's sweet, kind of candied. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't go. I don't crave them. Yeah. Can you do those funny little, can you tie a? cherry stem in your mouth 
Nope. Haven't good. tried that. It's <laughs> good. It's a bad trick. It's a bad you bar trick. You have to show trick. us that sometime. Yeah, I can't do that. Okay. I, I can do it with my hands, and then I throw it in my mouth. Um, man, interesting, interesting news again. The Pope taking Washington by storm. Eventually, he'll make his way to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. New York and New then York. Philadelphia. Uh-huh. New York is in for it. I mean, the Pope goes to New York. That's going to shut down the city. Oh, can you imagine that? Yeah. I mean, already it's one of the highest security details they've ever had. So yeah. I can't – New York, that would be crazy. I wouldn't go to New York today or, or no. over the next few days. No. I just sit back. <laughs> just sit back and uh-huh. relax. Um, did you hear the great, uh, the great song sung by Bernie Sanders? I missed it. This is um, – it's just a beautiful song. Let's hear it. And it's, it's a – it just – I don't know. It just warms your heart, warms your soul. That's Ben. Oh. Uh, that, that's, the, sure? that's the audio Ben's been looking for all morning. That is sounds a, like your that, stomach. That's a giraffe. This oh, is a, a giraffe, giraffe in the middle of the night humming. Is it really? Yeah. I guess it, when giraffes are alone, mm-hmm. they, they do, yeah, they do a little, you know, little humming. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think he's meditating. <laughs> the meditating giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> he's in the... Lotus position. You know how hard it is the for down a down dog? What is that down? Yeah, he's in a down barking dog <laughs> position. And um, no, that's not the song. The real Bernie Sanders song. This is the song of all songs. This is the song that I want, I think, now sung at my funeral. And I, and I want Bernie to sing it. He's got some great, by the way, you can't see the moves, but he's busting a great move here. That ribbon of highway, I saw above me mm-hmm. that endless skyway. You go, Bernie. I saw below me that golden valley. This doesn't count as singing. He just this land he's, made he's slow talking. What do they call it? Slow group, slow rapping. And behind him, Pelosi. You can hear her, <laughs> Pelosi. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Hillary, is Hillary back there too? No, Hillary's, oh. yeah, Hillary couldn't, she couldn't she didn't make want to, it. Yeah. Nah. Well, she felt there was a conflict. Mm-hmm. That would be a conflict. Because she can't stand sure. Bernie Sanders right now. <laughs> anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, what the stuff that comes out about our politicians, it's crazy. I wanted to also um, make sure that I, I got this story in because I, I'm not, I don't know, I guess I'm not quite sure how to feel about it. A man who claimed at a trial that his evil twin was robbed, has robbed 10 gas stations and convenience stores, and by the way, and, and beer stores. And now the guy's been convicted of 60 years to go to prison for 60 years. But his whole claim was that it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Does he have a twin? Well, I mean, that's the funny thing. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know, but it seems like all you'd have to do is like ask, by the way, the guy's name is Stephen Felton. He's a 35-year-old guy from Emmaus, uh, I guess, Pennsylvania. And he could was sentenced to 62 to 124 years wow. in prison. But it seems like all the defense would have to do is like, uh, we're now going to call um, Helen Felton. Mm-hmm. Ask your mother. Stephen's mother to the stand. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Felton, um, do you have twins? Oh, no. No, we don't have twins. No. So Stephen does not have a twin brother. Okay. Oh, no. But I don't know if he does. They didn't say. But apparently uh, the judge didn't believe that he did. So he's, he's going to prison 
62 years. He used to rob stores with a pellet gun. And the videos at every store would just video his beautiful little face. Or, sorry. His twin. The face of his evil twin. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know. If you're going to have an alibi of an evil twin, Mm -hmm. you need a twin. (laughs) Yes. You need a twin. You need a twin, and he needs to be evil. He can't just be a dentist in Dubuque. (laughs) Is your twin evil? Nope, but he is a dentist in Dubuque. So sad. He could be the dentist that killed the lion. I was going to say. And you'd be in big He's back to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you want that guy's hands in your mouth? I don't think so. That's kind of weird. Yeah. No. So what you been doing, Doc? <laughs> I've been to jail. I've been uh, chased by rebels in Africa. Crazy. Let's get to the headlines, find out what Kathy's got in store for us. Good morning, everyone. Pope Francis has wrapped up his speech on Capitol Hill, the first ever by a religious leader to speak at a joint session of Congress. The Pope urged lawmakers to protect the image and likeness fashioned by God on every human life. He also called for united response of hope and healing for a world wracked by unrest and violence. The pontiff also talked on topics on immigration, the family, climate change, and religious freedom. He also cited the Golden Rule, saying it points us in a clear direction for countries facing urgent challenges. The Pope's address will be one of his last engagements in Washington before leaving for New York and then on later to Philadelphia. The Volkswagen emission scandal has spread. Earlier this week, the German automaker admitted to using software in 11 million diesel vehicles that would manipulate emissions testing in the U.S., but now it spread to Europe. Volkswagen CEO Martin Winterkorn is stepping down, saying he accepts responsibility but denied any personal wrongdoing. At least 717 people have died and over 850 injured in a stampede near the Muslim holy city of Mecca. Nearly 2 million pilgrims are participating in Hajj that began on Tuesday. The stampede took place approximately three miles east of Mecca, and in 2006, 360 pilgrims were killed in a stampede in the same area. Prosecutors in Arizona announced formal charges against a 21-year-old man suspected in some of the freeway shootings in the Phoenix area. Leslie Allen Merritt has been charged with 16 felonies, including drive-by shooting, aggravated assault, and discharging a firearm. Merritt is being held on $1 million bond. The assistant football coach from John Jay High School in San Antonio has admitted to ordering two of his players to hit an official on the field. Mac Breed told the school's principal he directed the students to make the official pay for racial comments and calls, something the official Robert Watts denies. The two players have been transferred to another school and are prohibited from even watching John Jay games as spectators. Breed is expected to attend a hearing today when the governing body of Texas high school athletics could sanction him as well as the entire football program. And Matt, here's a story on the need to regularly check your cell phone bill. Oh boy. An Oregon man received a cell phone bill that, well, is just a tad too high. Ken Slusher and his girlfriend bought a pair of cell phones last November and used the Verizon service for just one month before canceling due to billing issues. Mm -hmm. Well, the man thought the issue was over until he began getting letters from collection agencies. So he thought he'd check his Verizon account balance and it was $2,256,593.64. Kids! Hello! Slusher was scheduled to close on a new home Monday, but his mortgage company won't sign off on the loan because of the collection uh, issues. <laughs> Verizon said the error has been resolved and apologized for an error in an automated voice response system. So he had one month 
of service that was uh-huh. two million, and then Verizon corrected it, and now it's just down to four hundred thousand yeah, dollars for exactly. that month. What a great! Well, deal. I'm sure for because of the bad publicity, they probably you know erased the yeah. whole thing. You know what? We're going to give you a screen guard. Yeah, gonna- Can we give you a screen guard, a screen protector for your phone? <laughs> That'll take care of all yeah, of this. Yeah, and a little plastic protector. You know what? This isn't funny to me. No. Because this hits close to home. I know. My kids, that is about our bill every month. <laughs> I kind of thought it was close close <sighs> to that, but uh, that's why you're waiting to buy your car. Are your older wait- children on your bill still? Uh, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to stop. Yeah, I know. When do you go, okay, enough's enough? I don't know. We just barely did to one. Could you, could you get an interview with someone on that? And when yeah, we were supposed to I'm say going to our to. kids, I'm done paying for your stuff. We, I, we just told it to my daughter that's expecting, and she says, well. Okay, now, see, I see when you get married. To me, yeah. that's the cutoff. Well, you'd yeah. think so, but then they need time, and they need money, and, they're, and you know, you're, you've got just so much time month. before they need an account, a new uh, account. Yeah. And so it's— It's but, so much cheaper if it's on the family plan, Dad. So yeah. we're, we cut them off, mm-hmm. and apparently we are not going to be able to see the grandchild now. <laughs> Do not come near. It is so petty. Yeah, that's no, bad. She's beautiful. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do because I've got, I've got kids that – our one that came home from a mission, mm-hmm. he didn't understand like Wi-Fi versus you know, live Uh-oh. streaming. Uh-oh. So that wipes out your data. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing I've done. I've gotten on their accounts, and I make sure that it has to stop at a certain amount yeah. of data. Mm-hmm. And nearly, you know, a weekend, you're near the end of your data. Go, you got three weeks. I left. need to do that <laughs> yeah. to my son. Oh yeah, great idea. Oh yeah, I um, definitely do that. But because you know how you can get a personal account, or you can mm-hmm. get like a family account. We actually have a government account now for my family. <laughs> that's how much data we're using. Like we're using as much as forty of the smaller countries combined. Mm. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, you better get on there and change a few things. Yeah, time to grow up. <laughs> time to grow up, folks. Hey, we've got a great guest coming up in just a few minutes. Um, have you noticed the Donald Trump effect? He's talking about his political campaign, but is actually bringing up ratings. He talks about um, he, wa- he may want to get paid to do a debate. It's crazy. Politicians are becoming celebrities. Politics has gone tabloid. Well, joining us in just a few minutes, Matt Bai will be with us. He's the author of the book, All the Truth is Out, which is really uh, about tabloid and politics, tabloid journalism. This isn't a new thing, folks. This all started many, many moons ago with Gary Hart, if you remember. And uh, Matt Bai is going to come and, and talk to us about the impact today of the political world and the tabloid world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it seems like a lot of us are, are surprised about how the political showdown is happening with our with the GOP candidates, uh, especially Donald Trump seems to be getting a lot of attention. You can also see it on the Democratic side where, you know, a lot of, you know, maybe it just takes a little name recognition, a little star power, and all of a sudden you can shoot to the top of the uh, of the charts, except... This isn't a new idea, right? This isn't a new concept. And um, in fact, it's an old idea 
that a little uh, tabloid has been creeping into politics for many, many moons now. Joining us is Matt Bai, who's the author of NPR's best book of the year, All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. He's here to discuss one event in history that could have changed how we elect our presidents today and maybe has even shifted the American values when it comes to choosing a candidate. Uh, Matt Bai, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you. And this book is so interesting to me. I I was so funny. We, Oops. Sorry about that. We we had a really interesting right. moment with, um, with some of our interns as we were talking about this book because we were talking about all of the past political scandals. And it's funny because some of our college student interns didn't know about Chappaquiddick. They didn't know about mm-hmm. Gary Hart. They didn't know about some of these stories. And I wanted to get it out um, so bad. Talk to us. You you say a week, a one week in the book, a week of politics that went tabloid way back in the day with Gary Hart may have changed politics over the years, even up to today. Talk about your book. What do you mean? Well, you know, and I, and I think it's important you know, when we talk about this, Matt, to understand when I say the week politics went tabloid, right, not that – Absent Gary Hart in this scandal that, as you point out, you know, nobody under a certain age really even knows about it. Right. Not, not that that changed uh, politics and political journalism, but that politics and political journalism were going to change. That mm. there were a lot of forces churning in the society that were going to change the way we thought about politicians and covered campaigns uh, and had our public discourse. And it had to manifest itself in some moment. And the moment when you can really put your finger on it and say something really changed here – was that this week in 1987 that is largely forgotten. And, and it is – you can draw a direct line from what happened to Hart in 87, and, and he was you know, the Hillary Clinton of his day, the presumed nominee, so he was a major political figure. Yeah. And what happened to him at that point, you, know, you can really draw a line straight to Donald Trump, I think. The last few months have been fascinating to me, having you know, written about this, because you know, the, the, what happened in that moment is what the, is what the – the social theorist Neil Postman had posited only two years before, which is that we were becoming a society where you couldn't separate politics from entertainment, mm. that the lines between stories on television and our public discourse were blurring in a very dangerous way. I think you know, Postman was prescient. Two years later, you had the heart scandal. I think that is the beginning of something that you can see in the culture. But when you look at the reality show that is Donald Trump, uh, and even at the great sort of stirring narrative that is Ben Carson, when you look at what's driving this campaign to this point, uh, it is so rooted in entertainment and story arcs. Yeah. It has so little to do with governance. And I think it is I – think, I think we're reaching a dangerous place now in our politics where after 25, 30 years of this, uh, we, are, we, are re- we have really lost the, the line between our entertainment and our candidacies. And I think if you want to understand how, where we began to go in a different direction, I think you have to understand what happened in 1987. And teach us, because what what was it like before that? I mean, it, it I guess it was never, you, the ratings for political news was never about the, the titillating behind the scenes story. It was always no, no. I mean, I mean, character and personality, of course, have always been part of politics. Right. It goes back, and people will always tell you, "Well, what about Hamilton and Jefferson?" And yes, it goes all the way back. There were some significant differences, you know, before 1987, and, and let's just stick in the 20th century because yeah. I think that's what's relevant, right? The advent of television, uh, the 
you know, even you know, going back to the strong presidency that begins, in a sense, with Theodore Roosevelt, right? Uh, personal lives do become issues in our politics at times, but only when they burst out into public view and become political issues first. In other mm. words, the media doesn't drag public lives, private lives into the open. You have, you know, Nelson Rockefeller divorcing his wife to marry a woman half his age, and that has an impact on his Republican prospects, and it has to be covered. Chappaquiddick, which you started yeah. out talking about, right? Ted Kennedy drives off a bridge, drunk, a woman dies. That, you're, not, you're not keeping that out of the discourse because that, that had a significant impact on him politically. But before 1987, a couple things are true. One is that doesn't destroy you necessarily. In other words, it doesn't become the totality of, of, yeah. of your career. Nelson Rockefeller goes on to become vice president. Ted Kennedy becomes a legend in the Senate after that. So it, it's not the end of you. It's, it's only a part of you. Uh, and, and, and as I said, reporters don't go, go looking for it. Uh, that changes in 87 when you have reporters from the Miami Herald literally staking out the presumed Democratic nominee at his home mm. and confronting him in an alley outside late at night, demanding to know who's in his house. Uh, and at that point, you know, what happens in that week is that it becomes all consuming. Nothing else you've done in public life matters. There is no context. The scandal simply washes him away and a lifetime's worth of work and leadership. And he was a really visionary politician, which is part of what makes the story interesting and tragic. Yeah. So I think you know, we, that is the beginning of what you know, we now consider to be a sort of normal political coverage. Now, and how does that, in a way, contrast it for me, how it differs from Nixon? But I guess Nixon's was a political move gone right. public versus Gary's was a private move gone public. Yeah, but there's a real connection. I mean, it's a, it's a great point, Matt. There is a there is a real connection here because you know part of what happens, as I say, there were a lot of a lot of dynamics in the culture were churning to change this, right from the rise of feminism, the rise of the moral majority, mm. uh, the advent of the satellite dish, which is huge in the early 1980s. You know, CNN launches in 1981. You have the beginning of the sort of punditry yeah. culture by the 24-hour news culture. Yeah. Yeah, 24-hour news is right around the corner, and you can see it. You know, you can see the heart scandal is the first of its kind, where you're going to get these breathless reports around the clock, and that changes the nature of a story, right? You're not thinking through the context so you can report it at six o'clock anymore. But the, but the fascinating, you know, the interesting thing about Watergate is that one of the things that's going on, maybe the most important, is that you have a new generation of reporters coming on the campaign buses in the late mid to late 1980s. And they are, the, they are inspired by Watergate. They're younger. They, they, you know, in another era, they might have been lawyers or Wall Street bankers, but they're drawn to journalism because of the example of Woodward and Bernstein and the inspiration that that had, had brought a lot of kids. And for them, Watergate is really significant because much as we sort of lionize Woodward and Bernstein, they were cops reporters, right? The political press corps had completely missed this. They right. Nixon for 20 years. He apparently had some significant flaws psychologically <laughs> uh, and some corrupt, outright corruption, and nobody had gotten to it, and nobody had covered it, and nobody had asked the question, how sane is this guy? So there is a feeling among these younger reporters when they come onto the campaign trail that part, and a huge part of their job, A, is to protect the country from liars, is to be moral police, is to make sure that somebody with a basic issue of morality doesn't ascend to the White House again. And B, they understand that the greatest calling of their industry has changed, right? Mm, if yeah. you can bring down a politician in scandal, you can become rich, you can become famous, you can have movies made about you. That was not the goal of political journalism before Watergate. And, and that, that echo of Watergate 
is really what uh, what you can hear sort of reverberating around the the brick walls behind Gary Hart's townhouse right. when those reporters corner him, and and later in that week when you have a reporter from the Washington Post asking him in front of a national audience, "Have you ever committed adultery?" which is a question no candidate to that time had ever. Heard. <laughs> Unbelievable, and and then you can see uh, th- this is why you said earlier that this was going this was inevitable. Th- there was going to be a yeah. shift to tabloid, especially because. The advent of internet hadn't even impacted the political spectrum yet. I mean, then all of a sudden, Drudge and right. Clinton. I mean, then it's a whole different ball game, too, right? Yes. I mean, I mean, if it hadn't been hard, it would have probably been Bill Clinton a couple of years later, who would have been the first to walk into this. As it was, Clinton got to see Hart's example. Mm. He learned a little bit about how to handle it, and I think one of the fascinating things that happens. In that moment, and we're still working through this in the internet age because TV has is already you know, giving way now to the online culture. Uh, but you know, one of the things that happens is that our definition of a qualified and sort of dazzling and talented politician, political leader, really changes in the years after 1987. Right prior to that time, you know, when you talk about political leadership, you are talking about governance, you're talking about worldviews. You're talking about, in many cases, the, 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 the proclivity to stick to your guns, right, to hold the line on principle, yeah. even, when, uh, even when the winds are blowing a different way. Post-1987, I think we begin to attribute this idea of political genius, for instance, to Bill Clinton, uh, because of the ability to evade the traps, the ability to get around the scandals, the ability to survive, to get hit, but instead of going away like Gary Hart, to get back up and, and fight another day and outmaneuver your enemies. And that, that is a skill. Yeah. I think you can reasonably ask yourself, is it the skill that defines political leadership? Is it the thing we should be seeking out in our right. leaders? Is it, is it okay that we say, well, a guy, you know, that guy, Bill Bradley, was the first presidential candidate I covered. Is it okay that we say, you know, Bill Bradley's a really bright guy and, and knows what he believes, and, you know, but he doesn't have the skill. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the, the drive or mm-hmm. the evasive skill to handle the presidential <laughs> process. Is that okay that we've created a process that demands an entirely different set of skills than the ones that might be necessary to govern? Oh, it's such a it, uh, it's a great question, isn't it? And it's a, I mean, with the wake of all of these other people that are somehow floating into our system simply because they're either a name, they've made their name on TV, they're whatever right. attractive. I mean, I just think of Sarah Palin's. I think of. Um, I mean, Bill Bradley is a great example. He played basketball, right? Right. And and yeah. so so it's almost like it, it immediately helps you. And you can be in a great governor or a great leader and or and still. But now you have to be a dancer and a shuckster and a jiver, and you have to be able to somehow maneuver. And I guess that's one of the things I see Hillary Clinton struggling with is yeah, well, she's not as adept. Point. Yeah, and you're getting to another point, Matt. It's really, yeah, it is. She does struggle with it. But, but you're getting to another point that's really important, which is if you can do all those things, right, if you can shuck and jog yeah. and, and handle the process, can you then avoid having to really have a philosophy or a worldview or even any knowledge? I mean, you look that's at Sarah Palin, look at Donald Trump, oh, right? Yeah. We, what we have are we're, – we're, we're not just driving good people out of the political process and keeping good people on the sidelines because who wants to subject themselves and their family to the process we've created and to the ethos of political journalism that we've been following – but we're, we're, we're creating a very wide lane for people who really have no business holding office, uh, certainly sure. higher office, uh, 
That's to true. sort of glide through because if they can if they can navigate the the bright light and stay away from any debilitating scandals, yeah, uh, they don't really have to tell us what they believe. And and we're creating a class of politicians who are actually becoming politicians either be, either either based on their celebrity or because they want to be celebrity. Right. And they don't actually want right. to serve. I mean, Sarah Palin served for two years as Alaska's governor. As soon as she got famous, she got out. She hasn't run for anything else, and I don't think she ever will. Mm-hmm. She did get a reality TV show. She did get a <laughs> huge, huge fees for all of her speeches. She's become a cultural figure, yeah. and I think that's actually what she wanted. I don't think the, the, the actual governance was all that interesting to her, and I think that we, you know, we're going to get, and we can see already from this campaign, we're going to get an increasing number of that, and I'm, I'm troubled. Oh, I am too. Increasing incidents of that, and I'm, I'm troubled by the notion that we're not that we're not enabling people to tell the difference between political leadership and celebrity. Well, you can see it with Donald Trump talking about ratings and how he impacts the ratings. I mean, what politician ever talked about impacting the ratings for Fox and CNN? And and then yeah. and then and uses yeah. them against each other or talks about you need to pay me for this debate because so now he wants payment for debate time. Just because he lifts ratings, I sit there and I think, but we can't see through it because we're so in this reality TV world. It used to be tabloid journalism world, but now it's kind of this reality TV world that it's it's almost disheartening. Matt, we we got to take a break. We'll just take a quick one, but I want to come back and have you. What are we supposed to do, Matt? I mean, give me your best give me your best insight from being a fellow at Harvard Institute of Politics at Kennedy School of Government. Give me your insight from the Hoover Institution at Stanford. What on earth are we supposed to do to man, focus on what's important here politically? More with Matt by the uh, author of All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Um, we're speaking with Matt By, author, journalist, screenwriter, one of the nation's leading voices on American politics. He is the national political columnist at Yahoo News and former chief political correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. His book, All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. Uh, he's joining us now. Matt, welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, thanks. You know, it, it it is tabloid, as I thought about it during the break. Tabloid, it's it's National Enquirer leading our political process now. It's crazy. Does it? It's got to frustrate you, Matt, because you've you know you've read deeply, you've studied deeply politics. Um, how do we cut through all of this tabloid political focus? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a great and frustrating question. I'm not I'm not great on the solution, end, and I also. You know, I don't think you make rules. I mean, you know, one of the no. things, if you ask people this, one of the answers you'll get, interestingly, is, well, we, may, we should limit money in politics because money is distorting, pro, you know, is distorting the process. Well, okay, but before we go do that, before we go making rules about money in politics, let me ask you, if everybody had the same amount of money to spend and limits on what they could raise and spend, don't you think celebrity would oh. be a significantly more of a problem? Yeah, not huge less? advantage, too. Right, <laughs> right. So I... 
So I don't, uh, you know, that I think, you know, what, what we're talking about is not a rule problem. It's a cultural right. uh, inclination. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm talking, I'm talking to political journalists, you know, because that's my industry. And, and you know, I, I never, I never blame voters for trends in politics. I don't think that's fair. But I do, you know, I, I am talking to my industry. I've done this for a long time now. And I'm basically, you know, as part of this book is what, is, what I'm saying is, we need to be thoughtful. We've got a new generation coming in, just like we had a new generation that changed things in the 1980s. And, you know, we have a new generation of web-based journalists joining this business, and we, they need to think deeply about what mm. happened. They need to think deeply about how we cover this. I mean, uh, Trump is a, is a fabulous example. I mean, I couldn't, uh, you know, yeah. for the purposes of my book, which is just out in paperback, I couldn't ask for more, right? right. But, you know, Trump, Trump comes up, and, and, and look at the way we have covered this, right? I mean, I ask you this. So Donald Trump is dominant, right, for months. I mean, yeah. This week is a little different, but let's start with the last two months. Anything you read, anything you watched on cable TV, Donald Trump is dominating the Republican primaries. He's winning. He's the front runner. He's far and away in the lead. He has to be talked about all the time. He has to be the subject of all the shows. His news conference has to be taken to you live. Why? He's got 25% in polls, national polls, which, by the way, are meaningless. I can tell you who led the last few national polls at right. the time in a race. You, they, they didn't even come close to winning the nomination. He has 25% of the Republican electorate in polls, which is about 25% of the national electorate when you're talking about primary voters. So he has a fraction. Of mm -hmm. the, when I read, what drives me crazy is I read this mindless coverage that says Donald Trump has, has captured the imagination of the American public. No. No, he has a fraction of the American electorate saying they would vote for him, and so far has not been able to grow it, and I think is about to lose. Right, he's starting he to has. slide. It seems like, yeah. So, so you know, the thoughtfulness of how we cover this stuff to stop for a minute. Why, you know, why are we giving Trump that kind of coverage? It's not because he's dominating the Republican race. That's just not true. It's because he's fascinating and he drives ratings and he brings clicks and he's hilarious and he's fun to watch. And when we're hoping for a train wreck. Thoughtful about right. that. Yeah. You know, we need we need as an industry and our younger reporters who are coming in are going to be running things in 10 years. We need to be thoughtful about and understand that there's there there's an impact for all of this. There there are consequences. There are, you know, bouncing balls here that you set in motion that will change the course of our politics and our history. This is not a game. Right. And I guess if you – it seems like with the whole big Fox, uh, you know, with Donald Matt at Fox News now, but it, it seems like if all the journalists were kind of on the same page that we're not letting the tail wag the dog here. We're not – we've got to focus on really what's happening. And I wonder if, if he'd boycott everyone. I mean to me one of the lowest moments, Matt, of this campaign to this point – funniest but lowest was he holds a news conference at the height of his popularity a couple of weeks ago and some reporter asked Trump about Kanye West. Oh yeah, oh I know. And he gives an answer about Kanye West. Oh, I love Kanye, he's a buddy of mine and it's like leading, it's all over uh -huh. Twitter, it's all over the news. I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, Are you I mean look, me? I think you've got to cover the guy's campaign. Sure. Seriously, I'm not, sure. I'm not one of these, like Huffington Post said, we're not even going to cover it as a campaign. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a campaign and it's got to be covered. It's sort of a campaign. But, <laughs> but Honestly, like we're going to ask the presidential <laughs> candidate leading in the polls about Kanye West, and that's going to lead the news. Like we right. need to check ourselves. <laughs> totally, we we have a responsibility. It's just that simple, and and our responsibility is not just to clicks. Well, and do you remember and, and briefs or boxers? Do you remember that briefs or boxers, Mr. Clinton? Right, right. Oh. that's right. No, no, that's right. And pre-heart, you know. Yeah, no, that would have been right. 
No one's ever getting asked whether they wear briefs or boxers. I know. You take a guy like Gary Hart and you put him in this moment and he wouldn't even want to run and he oh. certainly couldn't navigate the process. And, and maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something to be said for uh, candidates who can, uh, who can connect in a more accessible, more direct way with voters. But, but we do have to ask ourselves whether the process rewards the same set mm-hmm. of skills that you actually think you, you, you want from someone who governs the country, particularly at a moment when a lot of the answers are hard, they're not fun to hear, they're not easy, uh, and the realities and the reality of sort of transformation economically and globally is quite complex. Oh, Matt, I love it, and I love the book. Um, the book is All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tablet. I wish we had more time with you, Matt, because this is I, – I can only imagine what 20 more years of this looks like. And, oh, well, I appreciate it, man. I'll tell you what, I'll come back after we get a little further okay. down this campaign. Yeah, let's and we do can it. Talk about oh, going. In fact, let's do it. Like let, let's let's do it right around Iowa. <laughs> right when great. right when it's about to hit the fan. Great stuff. Uh, Matt by everybody go check out the book. All the truth is out and you can go to his website mattby.com. By is b a i mattby.com. Great stuff, folks. We've got to change the discussion and the dialogue. If we don't change the dialogue, we're going to just keep having the same problems over and over again. Great stuff to have people with their mind wrapped around this. We'll take a break, come back, uh, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. Stick with us, friends. This is The Matt Townsend Show. As I went walking... That ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. Mm-hmm. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. You said it, Bernie. This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks. Uh, we're going to head on down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer, Linton, Jerem, Jordan, Hello, gentlemen. What's up? That's Bernie Sanders. Barry Sanders? No. From the Lions? The uh, greatest uh, running no, back no, no, of all no, time? No, it's, uh, Bernie. It's Bernie. Bernie's, oh, yeah. He's oh, a weekend at Bernie Sanders. No, no, no. He's actually, he's, this is a political candidate. Oh. He's running uh, on the Democratic ticket, even though he is a socialist. That's why I don't know who he is. Yeah. But he's got some great, he's kind of slow talking it, slow jamming it. This reminds me of you, Jerem. A this land was made for you and me. <laughs> you got it, Spence. Thank you. You guys like this tune? Why don't you do more slow jam kind of moments on your I show? No, maybe we should read question. the opening tease that way, Jeremy. Like, why don't you? Because you have you guys have some serious gift. The biggest concern heading into the big house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. You need to use, I think, some of those gifts that God gave you, uh, the singing, the... When we find them, we'll start using the them. The character voices, the, car- the, the caricature, the cartoonish stuff that you all do. You need more of that on your show. Yeah, Jerem does a mean Ron Burgundy. <laughs> you, want to, you want to do it, Jerem? I love Ron Burgundy, by the way. Jerem? I'm trying to think of a line that I <laughs> um, spit out right now. He, he says, I'm a pretty big deal. He how, says, about, how about when he's warming up to go on the air, Jerem? <clears throat> all right. Here we go. How now, brown cow? Unique New York. The human torch was denied a bank loan. (laughs) What's your name? Lanolin? Like sheep's wool? (laughs) There's not much impersonation there. It's just me yelling. No, but it's really funny. How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? I can just hear you doing that before. Mm. 
Unique New York. <laughs> How now, brown cow? Don't make me laugh. I'm going to cough. Oh, yeah. Are you feeling any better? No, but I went to the doctor. Guess what I've got? Uh-oh. What do you a, have? A chest cold. That Okay, that's it? Mm-hmm. I thought I had tuberculosis. Nope. Don't you love how I have to Not pay one, like, but tuberculosis? Yep. You got to pay like 40 bucks for the doctor to be like, well, you got a chest cold, just uh, yep. tough it out. Yeah. He's like, that'll, that'll be an $80 copay. $80 what? copay. And if you could just cough more, that might get some of the phlegm out. <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. Turn but, on the shower and then, and really then, hot in the I morning. Uh, gargle, salt water. Yeah. Thanks, pal. Thanks Old for live tales. By the way, Don's giving me some great ideas. Like he wants me to go shirtless Don or yeah. Don with shirt. Uh, Don Don Shaline, uh, we call him shirtless Don, mm. and he's like he's because he's from Southern Utah. He's like you just run out there, you grab some sagebrush, you get some of that red rock right there, you rub it on your chest, <laughs> you get a little sagebrush, and then you're good from Cisco. That's not what he sounds like. Oh, my bad. <laughs> you know so that was Uncle Jemima. Down to, hey, down in Sheeta, down in Sheeta, here's how we do it, you boy. You guys, he's gonna come in and get me. Lock the door. <laughs> Lock the door, Ben. Um, down down in Sheeta. Oh, that is funny. You know, do you guys have anything I could? I see. I I know you probably rub Vicks on your chest when you have a chest cold. Not right? often. No. No. I just every time I smell you guys, I, I can smell Vicks. I thought, I thought you just did Vicks a lot. And there is the weird moment that we were waiting for. Every Vicks, time Vicks, we talk, there's Vicks. a weird moment. This just moment brought to you by Vicks. Vicks is one of the sponsors of the show today. <laughs> Vicks Vapo Chest Rub. Rub it on your chest. Rub it on your own chest. Boy, you can rub that vixen on your chest, boy. <laughs> oh, my heavens. You know, some people script the show more. You know, not us. We don't Why? like scripted shows. We just like to wing it. Wing it. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, we talk about Vicks VapoRub. You guys yeah. doing your show yeah. today? We are. Any- Icy Hot. Icy Hot. Mm-hmm. Sports Nation brought to you by Icy Hot. Hey, did you see that story of the kid rubbing Icy Hot on another football player's face? That is terrible. That is horrible. Honestly. Was what, it post-game? It was in a tackle. No, I think it oh, was. it was in a tackle. They tackled. They were in the scrum or whatever you call it, and a dude wiped Icy Hot yeah. all over a guy's Ridic- face. Ridiculous. Honestly. Between refs getting taken out. I know. What's happening to these kids? You can't walk like, outside what, anymore. What is happening? I don't is, know. This is why we just all need to stay inside and watch Netflix. Yes. I love you, Jerem. You can't get in a car accident if you're in your house. That's right. You can't get icy hot in your eyes. You can't get icy hot in your eyes if you're in your house. Wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, wait. Yeah, you actually can. I've done that. Yeah. Don't ask questions. Hey, what's on your show today, boys? It's an exciting show. We're going to break down the uh, you know, biggest concern going into the Michigan game for BYU. We mm. have ESPN college football analyst and Hall of Famer Chris Spielman on the Ooh, show. Wow. He was the analyst for ESPN, or excuse me, ABC on the Nebraska game. So this is part two mm-hmm. yep. for him watching this. Now, he's an Ohio State Buckeye. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Michigan. Oh, wow. Huh? That's good. That's great. That's a good get. Yeah. And then uh, defensive end on the 1984 National Championship team who defeated Michigan to win the title in the Holiday Bowl, Jim Herman, will be in studio. Jim Herman, uh, his, his kids play football with my kids. Not a big deal, but, you know. For real? Yeah. Well, yeah, back in the day. You're nice. so connected. Nice. You know, uh, it's a very small world. You're connected for good. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of sponsors, BYU alumni. A BYU alumni. That's a real how many, sponsor. How many, free, how many free tosses can we? Uh, well, see, the funny thing is, we toss a like, lot. But I feel I like this is that Wayne's World scene where he's like, I would never sell out. And then he opens up a Domino's <laughs> or Pizza Hut and, and he's eating Pepsi. A pizza. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that, those are two good gets. It's going to be good. And Kyle Van Noy, uh, may, former Cougar, made the uh, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon last night. We'll tell you how. Ooh. It wasn't a guest. Okay. 
He bet he somehow he made it a Twitter on the show. I bet he tweeted something. That's not it. But watch the show, and we'll tell you. Of course, of course, I'm going to watch your show. (laughs) What else? Or listen on BYU Radio. No, I want to watch it. What else? That's about it. That's a great show. Wow. Okay. So uh, is this when I just want to know something because I'm sure this is happening. Oh, and I got a haircut. You did? Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic. Are you mulletless? I'm mulletless. I mean, watch the show and you'll see. Watch the show and you'll see the absence of mullet. The faux hawk. <laughs> a, fa- a faux hawk? For real? Let's just say purple's in there somewhere. What's watch the show? And um, I'm pretty sure that is, isn't this the time that you guys go do VapoRub and, um, and Icy Hot and to get loosened up for the show? No, nah, man. We're ready to go by the time we Bet start you, talking to you. Okay. Show, rub that down right down your head. <laughs> Thanks, Cletus. Uh, <laughs> Farmer friend. Farmer friend. I'm going to come down. I want to come down someday and watch the show. But I just want to be. It. I just want to fill your spirit and smell the icy hot. We're here every day. You're Air, always welcome to come in. Every day I'll come down. Every, every day, boy. Okay, gents, have a great one. Knock it out of the park. Mr. Coach Klein said I could. <laughs> Waterboy. This show brought to you by Waterboy. <laughs> nice catch. Love it, guys. Have fun. Bye. Bye-bye. That's awesome. Man, to do all those voices. Farmer Fran, is that a real thing, Ben? Am I missing something? Or is he just making up a farmer? I think he's just making up a farmer. He does a great farmer. I've always told Jerem that. You do a great farmer. If you didn't make it in the sports industry, you would have been a really good farmer. Yeah, he would. I mean, he still could. You know, Things go bad, fall back on farming. Work the land. Did you hear about this Domino's pizza guy? A man in Berkeley, California, has rewarded has been rewarded for, with a free year of pizza for returning $1,300 in misplaced cash. So the driver had put $1,300, I guess it was like the deposit for the store, in a Hot Wings box, right? Because, you know, who's going to steal a Hot Wings box? Uh, Mike Va- Vegas thought he'd order a pizza and some wings from Domino's Pizza, there was definitely some pizza, at least, he said, because he was able to scarf down. He wasn't able to scarf down a single slice before work called him elsewhere. So he had to go. He left. And while occupied with his work, Vegas's phone suddenly started ringing off the hook with calls from Domino's. Turns out that the delivery driver had mistakenly given the wings box with $1,300 cash in it. And he had put it there for safekeeping. Uh, and lo and behold... This guy had to decide if he was going to return the 1300 bucks, or if he's going to, you know, take the 1300 bucks and buy $1,300 worth of wings. But if you think about it, a year's worth of pizza is more valuable than $1,300. Well, it depends what you order. If you just order like a small. Okay, but who, who's really going to do that? Well, I do. It's unhealthy. I only like healthy stuff. So we got on Facebook. This is what he did. He, to find out if he should do it or not, he posted it on Facebook. I wrote on a Facebook post, of, and of course there's a long list of people arguing, you should keep it, you should keep it, you should keep it. I wanted to keep it, believe me, he said, but I can't do that. That's, uh, that's not good. So we gave the money back. That's super cool. Isn't that cool? Okay, here's the deal. We got to wrap up the show, but I want you to listen to this. This is my hero of the day. It's just a little girl trying to talk to her parents who are divorcing. And she gives advice. And I want everybody to listen to this young girl's advice about two parents that are divorcing and are fighting with each other. Listen to this great advice, my hero of the day. 
Mom, are you ready to be his friend? Yes. Try not to be that, that high up to be friends. I want everything to be low, okay? I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm trying to do my best in my heart. Nothing else than that. I want you, Mom, my dad, everyone to be friends. I want everyone to be smiling. Not like being mad. I want everything to smile. Especially when I see someone, I want them to smile. Especially Nana, everyone. I don't want you and my dad to be replaced and, and me again. I want you and my dad to be placed and settled and be friends. I'm not trying to be mean. I just want everyone to be friends. And if I can be nice, I think all of us can be nice too. My heart is something. Everyone else's heart is something too. And if we live in a world where everyone's being mean, everyone's gonna be a monster in their future. What if, if there's just a little bit of person and we will eat them, then no one will ever be here. Only the monsters in our place. We need everyone to be a person. Everyone, including me and my mom, everyone. Love it. Everyone to smile. And if that's for my dad and you, Mom, I think you can do it. You, you can do it, Mom. You can do it, Dad. That's Tiny Tiana, a six-year-old girl, giving a pep talk to her mom and dad who are going through a divorce. And Mom filmed it, I guess, so that everyone can see it. Folks, that is out of the mouth of the babes right there. We all need to be nice. We need to be better for each other, or we're just going to let the monsters come in and get us. That's the show, folks. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Make it a great one.